0: Well, as Matthew said, today we're looking at the second of a two-part series on the little letters in the New Testament. So Matthew started a few weeks ago with Philemon, and today we're considering the letter of Luke. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I didn't find this letter a very easy letter to read, for two main reasons, really. Firstly, it's quite short, it's densely packed, but it's got lots of different allusions and illustrations from the Old Testament, Perhaps those that were reading the letter then would have understood them better than we do today. But the second reason that it's not an easy letter to read is because the content is hard for us to hear. It talks about difficult things, judgment, punishment, and eternal fire. These aren't topics that we like to focus on, but as we discussed a few weeks ago, God does not ignore sin. He doesn't ignore the wrongdoing and the injustice in our world. He is good. He cannot and will not ignore evil things happening in our world, and nor would we want him to. Jude himself is a man of standing, the brother of James, and many scholars believe that he was one of the council at Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 15. Jude himself is writing to the early church to encourage them to examine themselves. Have they drifted? from the original gospel message that they were taught. Are they living lives that honour God and honour one another? Jude is recognising and pointing out here that there are some false teachers, people who are living immoral lives among them. They're denying Jesus as the only King and Lord. Jude describes, Jude describes these false teachers as, in verses 4 and 8, sexually immoral, He describes them in verse 12 as selfish and greedy, caring only for themselves. In verse 16 he calls them grumblers and complainers. In verse 18 he says they're seen to brag about themselves and flatter others only to get what they want. Verse 19 they're accused of creating division and living only to please themselves and not God. I love the picture language that Jude uses here to describe these false teachers. They're like shepherds who only feed themselves, like clouds that offer no rain, autumn trees without fruit that are uprooted, wild waves of the sea that foam up their shame. Instinctively, but also spiritually, we know not to trust these individuals, those who offer no life, Food, or wild people who poison us with their words and boast about shameful things that they've done. This section of the letter reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 7, where he describes false prophets. Jesus says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? likewise every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit by their fruit you will recognize them jude letters remind us that there will always be false teachers in every generation and we must examine what we're being taught to see if it fits with jesus gospel message false teaching can be attractive and dangerous for two reasons False teaching offers us faith light. It's easy to do, and it asks less of us. But also, false teachers tell us what we want to hear. We can do it. We can have it all. That we are the centre of the universe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, talks about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. I'm going to read a section of his book. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth saying all the way through. Cheap grace is preaching without forgiveness, with, sorry, preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace is a treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all he has. It is the pearl of great price, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a person their life. And it's grace because it gives us the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be made cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his Son too dear a price to pay for our lives, but gave him up for us. And I believe this is the heart of the gospel message that Jesus came for each one of us. This gift of grace offered to us through his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection and ascension provides new life. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift of grace, offered to us cost Jesus everything? Does our faith demand as much of us? This gift has a price tag. Being forgiven and living a restored life in relationship with God requires our commitment to God. Living as a disciple of Christ Jesus, loving and living for him, not only for ourselves. Recognising this gift, the pearl of great price, will cost us everything. And as the final line of the hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, says, Love so amazing, so divine, divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So, to finish this morning, I'd like to pray the final blessing from the letter of Jude over all of us this morning. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.